The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, 2016, which is about to go out the door was a year of controversy, and 2017 looks like it's probably going to be continuing a lot of that controversy. So, hey, I thought a show today on uh, not a political, well, actually it is a political controversy, but not in terms of uh, Democrats versus Republicans, really, but a controversy of another type, um, and that is the autism vaccine controversy. My guest is Kent Heckenlively. And he is the author of a new book called Inoculated, How Science Lost Its Soul in Autism. So welcome to the show, Kent. Thanks for having me, Dr. Lieberman. Now, Kent is a science teacher in middle school in Northern California. He's been an attorney, and he is a founding contributing editor of Age of Autism. And that's, uh, as you will hear, obviously to have written this incredibly well-researched book um, he has been working and talking with and reading and doing a ton of research into this subject because, you know, for one thing, Kent, <laughs> I know, and you, you, he has, this is his second book. His first one was um, Plague, Once, One Scientist's Intrepid Search for the Truth About Human Retroviruses, Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, Autism, and Other Disease. Um, so, obviously, you know, and I understand that that book, of course, had a lot of controversy. Um, so, certainly for this one, too, I'm sure you dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's ten times because you wanted to make sure that uh, there was nothing anybody could say that you couldn't prove, right? Right. So, my first book had about 700 footnotes in, in it, <laughs> and this one is a little bit shorter and has about 500 footnotes in wow. it. Wow. Okay. Most, of them, most of them going to uh, documents that I received from the office of Congressman William Posey. Mm. So, you, you, uh, you know, people like me often get attacked for, you know, uh, being conspiracy theorists, but all I can say in response to that is uh, I got my documents from Congress. So, <laughs> blame Congress. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting, before we go into the whole subject, it's kind of interesting that... Um, there's a congressman who sent you these uh, documents, and yet, I mean, is he has, I shouldn't assume, but has he been trying to do things in Congress to try to address this problem? Uh, yes, he has. So okay. uh, that's Congressman William Posey, and also uh, we seem to be getting very good support 
currently from Congressman Jason Chaffetz, who is head of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, looking at the allegations contained in my book. Uh-huh. The senior whistleblower scientist at the CDC, Dr. William Thompson, is alleging that government scientists covered up damning information in their study on the link between the MMR vaccine and autism. Okay, well, let's start at the beginning. The beginning for you. Now, I, I understand you have a, a child, a son with auto- a, a autism? Do- a daughter, actually. A daughter. Okay, and how yes. old is she now? She's 18 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. So, oh, so is that when you first began to get interested in this, or what, what started you on your quest? You know, what's really interesting, I, I have two children. I have an 18-year-old daughter, and I have a 16-year-old son who is normally developing. And mm-hmm. what happened, the way I like to say it is that, you know, with our first child, we really didn't know what to expect. And I re- looking back on it, I really think that she was damaged by her six-month set of shots. Mm-hmm. She had gone off of breast milk. She went on to normal cow's milk formula. And a couple weeks later, she got her series of shots. And about two to three months after that, she was diagnosed with having a seizure disorder. Mm. And a couple of years after that, diagnosed with having autism. So along comes my son. And for reasons unrelated to autism, after he went off of breast milk, we put him on a hypoallergenic milk formula. And, but that gets kind of expensive. And so at about 15 months, we went back to a regular cow's milk formula. And I took my son to his 18-month checkup, all right? And so because I thought the pediatrician had missed something at my daughter's six-month checkup, mm. when we took my son in, he went through a full developmental checkup. He passed with flying colors, 15, 20 words. He was looking at everybody appropriately. Everything was great. He gets his shots. Three days later, he's mute and pounding his head on the floor. Wow. Now, if you know, if you know kids, I mean, they can't be quiet. Um, so uh, it was at, at that time when my wife had, had said, you know, Ben's not talking anymore, I, I suddenly said, oh, my God, this theory that I thought was crazy huh. um, seems to be true. And really, just really by the grace of God, within a couple days of Ben going mute, I ran across the gluten casein-free diet. It made a lot of sense to me to try, so the, the next day... Both our kids went on the diet. It really didn't do much for my daughter, but for my son, the effects were profound. After 12 days, he said his first word again, huh. and it was as if we caught him as he was falling into the abyss of autism. It took him about a year to catch up in language with his peers. My wife's a speech therapist, so she's a wow. trained observer. And it took about two years for his sensory problems to go away. And so, but, you know, by the time he entered kindergarten, he was a normally developing five-year-old. Now, he's 16 years old. He's an athlete on the track team, and he's a great student, got a great sense of humor. And, you know, my daughter has difficulty walking and, uh, you know, cannot effectively communicate. So I know that it's not just genetics. I know there's genetics plus environment. And, you know, to have something so dramatic happen to my son and then to see him come back, you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, pivot points of your life. And you just, yes. I, I said to myself, I don't care how long it takes, if it takes the rest of my life, I'm going to get to the truth of what happened not only to my son and my daughter, but what is happening to this, you know, generation of children. 
Yes, wow, it's, you know, it's as if uh, that's like a scientific experiment, you know, not that one would uh, ethically do such an, an experiment, but since that just happened the, naturally, um, I mean, it certainly does lend a lot of credence to this whole theory. What was so dramatic for me is not just did it happen right after a doctor's visit mm-hmm. where he got his shots, but he came back so quickly after I changed his diet, so that meant there was some kind of, you know, overreaction that his immune system was doing, some poisoning, you know, something was going on. I, you know, I don't know what, but I know when it happened. Uh-huh. Now, is that something that you recommend to people, that particular diet? I mean, are you, do you try to tell people to, to do that at the very first signs? Um, you know, one of the things that I have to say is that I've noticed over the years that the gluten casein-free diet seems to be most effective um, if it is undertaken within a year of the appearance of symptoms. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's, it's, something's going on in the body. I don't know exactly what it was, but uh, you know, I've always jokingly said I, I've, I've had the easiest autism recovery in my son and the most difficult mm-hmm. one in my daughter. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I I really didn't know about that, and I would imagine that it doesn't seem like it's very well known, and yet that's such an important piece of information to get out for people since there is such a time limit on it, you know? Yeah. Um, well, uh, uh, you know, just to go back to your daughter for a minute, um, you know, this the pattern of having the seizures and then being diagnosed with autism is, is a, a frequent pattern. Yes. So, I mean, that also lends credence to the idea that, you know, there is some, some mechanism that's happening here, um, the vaccination, the seizures, and the diagnosis of autism. I mean, it's hard to sort of disregard all these things. And, and you know, what's really kind of um, difficult, frustrating, is that, you know, you can go onto the vaccine inserts and they'll say that seizures are a recognized side effect of vaccines, and one quarter of the kids with autism have seizures, but then they don't talk about autism being caused by the vaccines. And it uh-huh. just seems like it, we're looking at comorbid conditions uh, that are happening together. So um, it really makes no rational sense what they've done with autism and, and how it really has become just shunted to the side by the medical establishment. Yes. So, okay, so after, so it was then after you had this experience with your son that you started doing investigation? Yeah, you know, I, I was jokingly saying my mo- mother was a full-blooded Sicilian, so you attack the family and uh, you mm-hmm. just watch out. Uh-huh. So, so I, be- I became an activist, and uh, so one of the founding members of Age of Autism and, and just uh, using that as, as a way to you know, attack this problem and see what was going on. And, you know, very early on, I think like a lot of us activists, when we looked at the response of public health organizations like the CDC, we, we really kind of smelled a rat. We didn't think that the correct research was being done. It, you know, it didn't seem to make sense. It didn't add up. But for so long, so many of us activists really wondered if, people at the CDC weren't, were just avoiding looking at the issue in a scientific way, um, 
so, you know, if you don't see it, it doesn't exist, right? Uh-huh. Or right. whether they had done it. And so in mm-hmm. 2000, the summer of 2014, an amazing story broke in the autism community. And that was a story that's contained in Inoculated. It was a story of a senior CDC scientist, Dr. William Thompson, at the Vaccine Safety Division, who made allegations that the CDC had investigated the supposed MMR vaccine, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, and increased rates of autism. They found a link, and then they proceeded to cover it up. Now, this happened in the time frame from about 2001 to 2003, which is when I really started becoming active in it. And they eventually published research in 2004, which had some of the data removed. Now, I've been a science teacher for 10 years, and I've just loved science all my life. And science has a sacred obligation to tell the truth without Mm -hmm. fear or favor, you know? And what these scientists did in removing this information, which showed an increased risk of about 340% in African-American males and probably um, somewhere uh, around a two and a half uh, times increase among a group they called uh, isolated autism, which basically means there's no other comorbid condition. These were normally developing children. Um, That's nothing less than a crime against humanity. I mean, uh-huh. how can you, as a scientist charged with protecting the public, conceal evidence of harm? I really don't think there's a more wicked crime that mm-hmm. a scientist can be guilty of than yes. covering up harm to children. So in 2014, Dr. Thompson, well, so Dr. Thompson was the author of the, paper, of the earlier paper? He was one of five authors, and he was probably, in terms of seniority, he was four of five, Mm -hmm. and he was actually the person who was the the computer guy um, and the statistician. So when this information um, became clear to these five scientists and to some of their superiors at the CDC... um, what they decided to do was to get rid of some of the data. And they actually got together on a Saturday at the CDC to throw all of the uh, incriminating evidence, including computer files, into a big garbage can. Dr. Thompson thought that that was illegal, and he... um, maintained his own copies. Now, I would would have liked it if in 2002 or 2003 when this took place that Thompson had run to the New York Times with this, but he didn't. Instead, he just sat on it. And finally, it seemed like his conscience got the better of him. Maybe it was the fact that between 2002 and 2016, We've had one million hmm. more children be diagnosed with hmm. autism. Maybe hmm. that is what finally got to him. But he um, turned this information over to Congress. He, he um, 
through a series of long conversations with another scientist and an autism parent, Brian, Dr. Brian Hooker, who's a college biology professor at Simpson University in Northern California. Um, that, and Hooker convinced Thompson that what he needed to do was to turn these documents over to Congress and apply for federal whistleblower protection, which is mm. what he did. Mm-hmm. So I wish this, this had happened a lot earlier, but yes. thank God finally it has, and now we need to get the story out because the mainstream media is not interested in pushing this story because they get so much of their money from the pharmaceutical companies, mm. and this is, this is betrayal at the most fundamental level from both our... Um, you know, public health authorities and our farm, the pharmaceutical companies. So, this this is this is monumental. This is a once in a hundred year story when you get something yes, like this. Yes. And uh, I was determined it would be told. Yes, well, absolutely. And so the New York Times never did. I mean, well, of course, then the movie Vax came out. But I mean, ha- has the Times or I mean, ha- have there? Uh, has there been other than the movie Vaxxed, Has there been any other media medium that has uh, besides your book that has brought this out? Uh, you know the the best uh, reporter that we have nationally on this is uh, Cheryl Atkinson. Mm-hmm. She's been just wonderful, but by and large, except for Cheryl Atkinson, we get very little coverage of this. What I was really um, excited about is the fact that. When this book came out, I had the good sense to hire a publicist. Yeah. And, you know, I'm getting on shows like yours. I'm booked on 55 radio shows across oh, the country. Great. And so it's wonderful, but it's, it's, the, it's not the ABC, CBS, NBC uh-huh. who's his putting this story out, but it's the, you know, the, the people I think are the real press, not the corporate press, um, but people like you who are... Um, embracing this story and bringing it out to the public. So I'm just, I'm so thankful that uh, well, yes, there are people you like know, you. It's the numbers. I mean, it's, you know, you need to do every single radio show and and, uh, and every, every kind of medium you can just to get it out more and more. And are you implying that I'm not like uh, CBS or ABC? <laughs> okay, we need to take a break. Wait, 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 now, what guess. I'm saying is you have a soul. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm sure you have millions of radio listeners, So, but you continue to have a soul. <laughs> okay, uh, yes, absolutely. My guest is Kent Heckin-Lively. His book is called Inoculated, How Science Lost Its Soul in Autism. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back, so stay tuned. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. 
She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. Voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here with Kent Heckenlively. His book is called Inoculated, How Science Lost Its Soul in Autism. And um, in case you're still uh, questioning all of his research and conclusions and evidence and all that, buy the book. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you know, uh, give, you some, um, give you some websites for that. But... Um, I, I want to mention that one of the reasons why this subject is so near and dear to my heart, although I don't personally um, have a relative or you know have a have a personal contact or relationship with someone, um, a child with autism. Oh, well, actually, that's not true. I have a friend who has an autistic son, but um, but you know, a, a child myself. But I was I certainly, as a psychiatrist, am incredibly compassionate and, and outraged. Um, about what, uh, Kent, you've been saying about a million people since they knew, since the CDC knew that this, there was a connection between vaccines and autism, um, a million kids being born, born with, well, not born with it, but who have uh, received vaccines and then developed autism. Um, and and uh, in my expert witness work, I sometimes come across cases where there are autistic children. And I think the most well-known one is the case Kelly Stapleton case. Um, this Kelly was a mother in Michigan, and she had a daughter. Um, and the daughter, after <laughs> same thing, you know, she had a daughter who had uh, a cold, and she took her. She was due to go to the doctor. I think it was, I think it was, it was six months or a year, when she, was, when she was a baby and when you're supposed to get the vaccine, whenever that is, um, she took her daughter to the doctor and told him that she has a cold and she was concerned about giving her a vaccine. Um, not necessarily, I mean, I mean, I guess because she knew about the connection with autism, um, but I think just in general, giving a child who's already sick a vaccine. So... Oh, you know, of course, he said, oh, don't worry. There's no, there, that, nothing could happen. And sure enough, just like your story, uh, at, right after, a little while after the vaccine, sure enough, she started developing 
symptoms of autism, and by two years old, she was diagnosed. And um, this mother did everything. She devoted herself to her daughter, and she, um, she read books. She, she took the daughter to all these different doctors, you know, supposed specialists and all that. She did every. She put the daughter on diets. I don't know if it was the same diet as you were mentioning, or maybe it was too late by that point. Um, she, every, any kind of, anything that anybody recommended, she tried it. And nothing worked. Um, and, and her daughter was, got to be about uh, 13 when and was bigger, had gotten bigger and bigger, of course, but to the point where she was bigger, stronger than her mother. And uh, she started beating her, well, she had been having tantrums, but, you know, when she was two and three and four, these were little tantrums, and her mother could, could handle it. But as she got bigger and stronger, um, these tantrums put her mother in the hospital <laughs> uh, with brain injuries and all kinds of other injuries. And um, her mother kept on trying to find something, trying to find um, getting special uh, ed in school, whatever she could do. She was, you know, this was the main um, cause of her life. And um, finally, after, she, oh, then there were, of course, there was the problem with insurance and the government, and of course, nobody wants to pay for treatment for these autistic children. And so, but finally, she got. Um, she kept going, knocking on their doors, and, and finally she got an insurance company to pay for her daughter to go to a specialized hospital for autistic children. And it was a hospital that was just beginning, um, a program that was just beginning. And so the, her daughter was able to get a lot of attention there, and she was beginning to improve. But um, then there were some changes, and they decided to kick her daughter out early. And her mother decided tried to get the school, thought she had it all arranged, that the school was going to put her daughter in a specialized program, and it all fell apart. The school refused to take her daughter, and, I mean, no, you know, it, it's like everyone was slamming the doors. And so after 13 years of this, or 11 years of this, um, she... Uh, she, she, her mother was at her wit's end, and she was fairly religious. I mean, not fanatic. But she, was, she believed in God, and she believed that if she brought herself and her daughter to heaven, that God and or Jesus would cure her daughter. So she took her daughter to um, uh, the woods. They went, you know, um, they were going to go marshmallow, making marshmallows. And after they did that, she, she came in, they, they were in like a van, um, and she put her, so the the stoves, the little cookers that they used to roast the marshmallows, she put two of those in the van, she closed all the windows, and she was going to go with her daughter to heaven. Mm-hmm. And um, she wound up being, they found them kind of in the nick of time, and she wound up being charged with murder. And mm-hmm. I was the expert witness, um, and of course then the, the, then the attorneys she had didn't want to take it all the way to trial because she didn't have any money to pay them, so they went for a plea deal, which was outrageously unfair. And so I testified. I didn't get to testify at a trial, but at a, at a sentencing. And the judge, in giving her time in jail, um, said that if they had taken it to trial, that he's sure that somebody on the jury would have believed what I had to say about her being um, in legally not sane, um, 
legally insane at the time that she did this. And, but they didn't. <laughs> and so all these things, I mean, money, greed, it's kind of the same thing that you were talking about, you know. Money, greed, um, lack of compassion, all of this comes into play with um, children with autism. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that I, I want to say and I want your listeners to hear is that while it may sound like inoculated is just a story of the corruption and darkness that exists at our top, you know, in, in our top health or, public health organizations, there's another side to it, which is I firmly believe that if we tell the truth, about what's going on with these kids, that we can develop treatments and cures for them. Mm. Now, mm-hmm. I remind people that most of your listeners will remember the HIV-AIDS epidemic when right. there were people dying, and then suddenly when they figured out what was going on, it was suddenly this, you know, you know flick-the-lights moment, and when there was all this darkness, suddenly there was light and there was hope. And I talked specifically about um, some research that's come out from UC San Diego, which I think has a potential to be a game changer in autism. So, you know, everybody wonders what is going on in the biologically in the bodies of autistic yes. children. And so, you know, is it the mercury that's in the vaccines? Is it the aluminum? Is it these viruses that they have? Is it multiple viruses? Um, And it may be all of those things working in combination, Mm. but the question is, what is the body doing that is causing autism? And so this great researcher at at the University of California, San Diego, has come up with a theory, which I think is, is, you know, potentially game-changing, and he basically calls it the cell danger response. And he basically says what happens is when the immune system thinks that there's some kind of danger, now this danger can be chemical, biological, viral, really doesn't matter, but the body reacts in a similar way, and that is to shut down communication. Well, if you think of the you know, amazing amount of um, you know, coordination that's required to speak, well, that's all because your body is, is all the various parts of your brain are communicating with each other. Um, you know, things like digestion go terribly wrong in autistic kids. Well, digestion requires an amazing amount of coordination. And so mm-hmm. he has come up with this theory of the cell danger response, and, and he has um, done this research. You can actually induce um, the bodies of lab animals to undergo this, and when you do, they develop... Um, a condition very similar to autism, and, and he's actually been able to quantify it in terms of looking at um, chemicals and molecules in the body, which are abnormal in people with autism and in lab animals that you, you do this to. And so the question that he asked is a really simple one. How do you get the body to say that there's no more danger and it's safe to communicate? Well, he found an old drug which did exactly that, um, and he's done this successfully in three animal trials. So, for, so he induced autism in mice and gave them an infusion of this drug. They normalized. He also did it in mice who had a um, genetic, uh, who were 
given fragile X syndrome, which some people call genetic autism. I, I really don't think it is, but um, but there's a, a real strong genetic marker. You know, it's really simple to, to diagnose fragile X. Well, what he found is people with fragile X syndrome, they their body goes into this danger response. Their cells go into this danger mm. response. Well, he he cured it in these fragile X mice, and. Then he also took uh, mice who had a human age equivalent of 30 years old to see if it would have the same effect, and it did. Hmm. Now, it seems to, to wash out after, you know, six to eight weeks, but what he thinks is, you know, you may just need to do it for, like, two or three years, and after two or three years, you know, the brain has been communicating, you know, appropriately in all that time, you know, you have all the links established, so he really thinks that it may just be, um, you know, two or three year course of treatment with this kind of a medica- medication, just like every six to eight weeks. And, you know, we may be able to recover people, you know, who, you know, uh-huh. are in institutions right now. And I, and uh-huh. I, and, and that's really kind of where I'm going with, because I say that inoculated sounds like a, it's a story of such darkness, and it is, but, you know, I believe that if we confront these things and tell the truth, there can be such enormous hope, um, and, and we can fix this thing. And, and it may also be that what we're seeing in our elderly population with these record levels of Alzheimer's disease and dementia mm-hmm. is we may be seeing this cell danger response in the elderly population. And, God, wouldn't that be great if... Uh, you know, yes. all these families who have an Alzheimer's parent, a parent with Alzheimer's, yes. um, God, wouldn't it be great to, to say, hey, gee, you know, if we tell the truth, not only will we, you know, redeem this population of children who are currently unreachable, but God, how about also having a vital, you know, old age? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes. Now, did he um, inject the mice? With the first group, not the ones with fragile X, did he inject them with the vaccines, the MMR? <laughs> it, it's really a funny sort of thing because I, I'm going to say this and you'll go, God, shouldn't that, that very thing make people think that vaccines are a problem? Yeah. Here's what you do to create autism in mice. <laughs> okay, you ready for this? <laughs> you inject the mothers with what their immune system will think of as a virus. And there, the, the immune system of the mothers will overreact to this fake virus. And as a result, their offspring will have conditions reminiscent of autism. Hmm. Now, the simple fact that that's how you create an animal model of autism should raise a whole bunch of questions. Well, what in my virus? Mind. Huh? What virus? Uh, no, it, it, it's a fake virus. It's not an... It's actually... Um, they t- take a segment that the body will think is a virus, um, and it's so it's not even a virus. It's what the body thinks is a virus, and it's the body's. It really is the body's overreaction to this. And you know, if you think about it, uh-huh. well, gee, you know, a, 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 a fetus is much more reactive, and their immune system is is immature. So. Yes. It may have an over. It's easy to imagine. It just has an overreaction. Whereas the mother has this fake viral assault. Their her body reacts to it, and then you know it's done with, and she goes on with her life. But you know, when you have an immature immune system, all sorts of things can go terribly uh-huh. wrong. Uh huh. Well, you know. Also, it seems to me that 
when they came up with the, the, the original data in 2002, 2003, um, and that they buried, um, yeah. wouldn't it have been simple, I mean, why, at that time, to just make a rule that, um, I mean, if they couldn't change the vaccine to take out the mercury and, did you say the aluminum is also... Um, yeah. Then couldn't yeah. they just make it that people have to take these the combined vaccine as individual vaccines over time? Like, why did they have to keep it? What couldn't they have made a simple change then, just to tell doctors, here's the new schedule of immunization, and just have them individually? I, I you, you've hit the nail on the head. I think that these scientists were looking at a moment of moral choice. They could have done the thing that all of their education and training told them to do, which is tell the truth. And they chose not to. There was a number of things going on at that time. So about 5,000 cases were going through um, what's known as the vaccine court. Your listeners probably don't know that if uh, they think their child has suffered a vaccine injury, they can't go to a regular court. They have to go to a, a vaccine court which has very different rules of evidence. You can't even sue the manufacturer of the product. You can't even uh, depose any of their scientists who designed uh, the vaccine. Mm. But about 5,000 cases were working through the vaccine court, and um, uh, the potential liability for the government was probably well in excess of a trillion dollars. And so these scientists were looking at... uh, you know, a trillion dollars worth of damage for all these autistic kids. And, uh, um, you know, they made the wrong, a profoundly immoral decision, which was to conceal this data and just act like everything was fine. I mean, yeah, you know, they should be, they should be in jail. To my mind, these are crimes against humanity. And I really don't think that, it, you know, and I'm not somebody who likes to, to use hyperbola, but I cannot think of a more, you know, dark-hearted, black-hearted crime than knowingly allowing harm to have children, telling their parents this is safe when you know it's not. Um, I, I just, I do not understand the souls of these people. How wicked must their hearts be to knowingly conceal harm to children? I really, I I wish I had words to describe it um, because I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of it. Um, But, you know. Well, do you think, I mean, do you have. (laughs) Sometimes I just think there's no hole deep enough for these criminals. Yes, yes. Well, we need to take another break, but we'll talk more about this when we come back. My guest is Kent Heckenlively. His book is called Inoculated, How Science Lost Its Soul in Autism. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, so stay tuned.
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman talking today about Inoculated, How Science Lost Its Soul in Autism, which is the book of my guest, Kent Heckenlively. And um, the question that I had, a follow-up question to what we were just talking about is, since you are an attorney, um, and uh, even though you're teaching in middle school right now, but still, um, and you're all involved in the whole world of autism, uh, and with congressmen, you know, getting um, information and so on from congressmen, are there uh, people, lawyers, congressmen, other people who are intent on um, prosecuting these scientists who uh, back in the day did not come forward and who were involved in um, hiding the data? You know, it's a great question. And so the, what I want your listeners to understand is how profoundly this whole subject matter of vaccines has been changed by a law that was passed in 1986. Most of your listeners will not know that in 1986, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act was passed and I trace all of the problems that we have experienced to that single act. And what was really interesting in going back at the history of it is to find that when President Reagan signed this bill, in his actual signing statement, he said, I am concerned about this law and I'm signing it even though I have significant reservations because it doesn't have a system of checks and balances. And I ask Congress in the next session to, to address those concerns. 
those concerns were never addressed. So Mm. let me explain to your audience why the vaccine court is such a departure from our regular traditional civil justice system. And that's the, the law that set up this court. Yes, that's the law that set up this court. So, and, and, you know, just, I just want to interject one thing. If in 1986 they were passing this law and setting up these courts, I mean, obviously they knew that some people believed that there was a connection between the vaccine and autism or they wouldn't need any of this. Well, it... At, at that time, the problem was the DPT vaccine. And mm-hmm. so there were a number of children who were suffering brain damage and death from that vaccine. And in mm-hmm. fact, the number of cases that had been filed against one of the main companies in particular, they'd actually said their liability was 100, potential liability was 100 times their actual sales of that vaccine. So mm-hmm. what, what's kind of crazy to think about is that, you know, so in 1986, what these vaccine manufacturers were going, were saying, look, we're going to be put out of business. Okay, well, at that time, kids got about 10 doses of vaccine before the age of five or six. So why is it that when we give 10 doses of vaccines to children before the age of six, and the effect is so great that we have to give them complete immunity because it's hurting so many people that now, 30 years later, when there's, you know, 50 doses of vaccines before Mm -hmm. five or six, we say that everything is fine. That just makes no logical sense to me. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so the thing that, uh, for your audience to understand is let's say you're making toast in the morning, your toaster catches fire and burns down your kitchen. Real simple. You sue the manufacturer of the toaster. They have to disclose to you all complaints they've gotten about their toasters catching fire. You can depose any of their engineers or any of those their people in customer complaints, and they have to give you all that information. Okay, That's with a simple toaster. Nothing even remotely similar exists in vaccine court. The vaccine manufacturers are removed from the equation. So you cannot get any information about similar injuries from that vaccine that your kid took. You cannot depose any of the scientists. So you're left in this, you know, terrible place, not not knowing, not being able to get information. And so what was really interesting, and and I I really want your audience to understand that I, I really tried to cover everything. So I interviewed one of the judges who's been in this vaccine court since it began. And it's a ex- long, extensive interview with him. And he basically said, the court isn't working. And, you know, I kind of felt like I was talking to one of the generals who fought the Vietnam War who mm-hmm. could give you all this data about whether, you know, uh, about the war. But when you asked him the ultimate question, well, should we have fought the v- Vietnam War? He couldn't give you an answer uh-huh. because he felt that was not his place. And so, you know, I had a great interview with this senior judge and, he detailed all the ways it wasn't working, and then I asked the ultimate question, you know, well, should the court be abolished? Well, I don't think that's my place to say, okay? <laughs> because but I'd be out also, of a job. <laughs> he, but, but he also uh, put me on to a Stanford law professor who is one of the few academics who actually studied the vaccine court, and she had a really interesting take on it because um, she had heard that the vaccine court was working great, 
And she mm-hmm. said, wow, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Let me investigate it. And so she investigated it because, you know, lots of people get um, excited about alternative courts. And so she wanted to see if the vaccine court, you know, could be used as a model for any other type of, you know, medical courts. And, uh-huh. you know, what she found was appalling. She said, you know, the two reasons they were supposed to, you know, have this court was because it would give quick justice for those who'd suffered vaccine injuries. And, and she says it's neither quick nor is it just. In fact, you know, the time to adjudication was supposed to be six months at most, but now it's averaging over five years and people are hating it. And so it's kind of interesting to, you know, to investigate, you know, to talk to a senior judge at the court who says it's not working. Then I talked to an academic who studied it, who says mm-hmm. it's not working. And, you know, and the parents are saying it's not working. So nobody is saying the system works. So mm-hmm. well, let's put it back into our regular court system. So one of the big arguments that I make in the book is that this law has so dramatically changed, um, you know, the, our relationship to pharmaceutical companies that it needs to be abolished altogether. So yes, yes, if, if we say that, you know, a consumer product that's in my kitchen, you know, I can sue the manufacturer. Well, yes. shouldn't I have the same, if not more, rights about something right. that's injected to, into my child? Right. Absolutely. Yes, and there's all kinds of implications, you know, with other, uh, as you say, other other medications or injections or, you know, the protection of these pharmaceutical companies. I want to get to, we, we only have about um, five minutes left, and so I want to get to the, the bottom line question, which is, what about all these parents? I mean, it is a, it is a law um, that, well, in some states, it is now illegal to not vaccinate your child. And I was appalled the other day when I heard on the radio about an, a doctor, a well-respected doctor in Southern California, Dr. Robert Sears, whose license is in jeopardy because he gave permission to a parent to not have their child vaccinated. So, yeah. you, you know, what, what's a so parent California, to do? California, so I, I, I'm in California, so we just recently passed um, SB 277 which provides that it takes away medical, it takes away religious and philosophical exemptions and makes it really difficult with medical exemptions as a precondition of going to public education, okay? So um, thankfully my kids are old enough so they're not under the law so I don't have to worry about it, but I've been fighting this thing. And so it's terrible because, um, so you think about this, this corrupt court that isn't working you think about these corrupt public health officials who are lying to us, and then you think, okay, now the power of the state is being used against parents. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it's an amazing thing. I'll tell you a quick story um, about when uh, there was an earlier law that I went and um, protested against. And so it was to say that uh, if parents wanted an exemption, that was fine, but they had to have a discussion with their doctor of at least a half an hour about the pros and cons of it, okay? So mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, like, okay, you know, let's see, see what that's like. And so I went to the Capitol, and I was one of the people who testified against it, and there were probably over 800 of us there, okay? Wow. So imagine 800 parents there. The thing that chilled me to the bone 
is that as I'm outside the Capitol, I see a, cu- a couple buses pull up and out step these really cute 20-something medical students. Uh. And somebody hands them, each one of them, a new lab coat. And so there's uh. about 60 of them. And so these cute little 20-something medical students, you know, walk into the Capitol, you know, and they, you know, they say to the legislators, I would never think of taking away a parent's right to choose what was most appropriate for their children. I just want to make sure they're well-informed. Smile. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, we are totally outgunned here. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was at that time I just said, you know, this is not where it ends. And so it wasn't a surprise to me when two years later that same politician, Uh um, Senator Richard Pan, passed SB 277, even though... We had, you know, four or five protests each and every time. It was like there were over a thousand of us there, oh, wow. you know, wow. uh, protesting against it, you know, lining up, doing our two minutes, and they'd have 50, 50 people in opposition, you know, in support uh. of the bill, and the damn bill would pass. And I just said, this, this is unfair. This is a hijacking of our democracy. And, uh, you know... I can't. I don't have the money to pay for a bunch of medical students to drive up from Southern California and give each one of them, a, you know, crisp <laughs> new, you know, white jacket. Yes. This is well. We need, we it, actually yes, absolutely. It is all you know. It's and that's the frustration of it all. That it seems like every which way you turn. Well, we're running out of time. Um, I will say that if I had a daughter, do- I do have a daughter, and if she were uh, affected, if she were of that school age at this time. I don't think I would give her vaccinations at this point, and I know people yeah. are appalled because I'm a doctor and I'm saying that, but um, I, I think I would, I would go to a, I don't know, a private school or I would, yeah. I would find or move to another state um, yeah. or something. Um, yeah. But anyhow, I mean, people, so I'm really glad that your book has come out. Again, the title is called Inoculated, How Science Lost Its Soul in Autism. Um, and I want to, and of course, people can get it at Amazon. But I also want to give out your website, yeah, which it's is www.inoculated.org, and that's one N in inoculated. Inoculated.org. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Kent. Hickman. All right. Thank you. I hope maybe um, to have you back in a year or two when you can tell us about all the progress that you have Absolutely. made as, as you have shocked everybody with everything that's in your book. So thank <laughs> okay, you very great. much. Thanks and so thank much. You, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.